Live to see it, friends, and welcome to Adjacent Realities. This is a new podcast. It's part of the extended podcast universe that includes the original Fast Forward Radio, The World Transformed, and the new Fast Forward shows. This new series is going to be just me, Phil Bowermaster, with some thoughts on the future and its relationship to two very difficult concepts, reality and possibility. So I'm glad you're with us, and let's get started. In this first edition, we're going to talk about the fourth wall. Now, there is a problem that has puzzled and frustrated philosophers for ages, probably for as long as philosophy has existed. In modern times, the philosophers have been joined by psychologists, neuroscientists, artificial intelligence researchers, and others, all trying to get to the bottom of the thing. It's a problem that has gone by a variety of names over the years. And in its modern incarnation, it's referred to as the hard problem of consciousness. And it is a hard problem, if you want to think about it. I mean, really, what is consciousness? You might say, well, it's thinking. But then, what is thinking? And you might say, well, thinking is what I'm doing right now. Okay, but what is it, right? And are you really doing something, or is it just somehow sort of happening? Also, aren't you conscious sometimes without really thinking? Is consciousness more like feeling? Does it just mean being awake? We know that consciousness must exist. You can't spend time wondering about it without using it. But we have no idea what it is. Or it's more accurate to say we have some vague and conflicting ideas as to what it might be, but none are conclusive or even all that persuasive. Maybe consciousness is thinking or being awake. Or maybe it's a feedback loop that emerges when a mind models itself. Or possibly it's some kind of spooky quantum phenomenon. Or who knows, perhaps it's simply the human soul in action. It's hard to say. Each of those answers raises its own set of questions. The deeper we delve into the mystery, the more remote and frustrating it all becomes. And consciousness is not alone. It's part of a whole complex of unavoidable mysteries we encounter when we try to make sense of human existence. We might think of the hard problem of consciousness as a subset of that biggest of all mysteries, the hard problem of reality. I mean, really, reality, what a concept. What is it exactly? Is reality what I'm experiencing at this moment? Is it what you're experiencing? We all want to believe that we're tuned into it pretty well, but then why does reality apparently look so different from different points of view? You probably know some people who are living in a very different reality from the one you experience. I certainly do. But never mind that, we're inclined to say. Sure, different people have different points of view, but there is some base reality, some kind of ultimate foundation that sits under what everybody is experiencing. Okay, that much seems reasonable. But is that ultimate foundation something that we can truly understand? Or does it remain frustratingly beyond our grasp? Most of us like to think that reality really is something that human beings can comprehend. And more to the point, we tend to think that we personally are among those who have a pretty good handle on it. Well, not so fast. Maybe not, says Donald Hoffman. He's a professor of cognitive science at the University of California, Irvine. He's been studying the relationship between evolution and our grasp of reality. 
and his conclusions are not what you would expect. Let me quote just a little bit from this linked article on the subject. Evolution has shaped us with perceptions that allow us to survive, but part of that involves hiding us from the stuff we don't need to know. And that's pretty much all of reality, whatever reality might be. According to Hoffman, actually understanding reality provides no evolutionary advantage. What we have are models of reality that are optimized around keeping us alive and able to reproduce. We can't get at real reality no matter what we do because we've been designed or at least optimized not to get it. And consider this peculiar difference between our experience of consciousness and our experience of reality. As I pointed out before, you have to be conscious in order to question the nature of consciousness, but you don't have to be real in order to question the nature of reality. There's a popular trend in movies and on TV shows for characters to violate what they call the fourth wall. The idea comes from the theater, where you can imagine an invisible wall separating the actors on stage and their world from the audience out in the auditorium and their world. Violations usually involve having a character talk directly to the audience, but not always. Deadpool 2 was recently released. Well, in the original movie Deadpool, there's a scene where the title character is told that he's going to see Professor Charles Xavier. And his answer is, Stuart or McAvoy? These timelines are so confusing. Okay, so what's going on there? Deadpool knows that he is a character in an X-Men movie. He knows that two different actors have played the role of Charles Xavier, and that this series of movies is notorious for inconsistencies and continuity problems. But of course, all those facts are part of our reality, not his. Deadpool isn't real, but that doesn't stop him from questioning the nature of his reality. Of course, you can argue that Deadpool never does any such thing. He's a fictional character. Nothing attributed to him has ever really happened. Well, let's look at a different example. Lewis Carroll wrote a book called Through the Looking Glass, What Alice Found There. It is the sequel to Alice's Adventures in Wonderland, or what we just think of as Alice in Wonderland. And Alice is in Wonderland where Tweedledee and Tweedledum give her some bad news. And the bad news is that she's not real. Now, I'm not sure whether this counts as a true fourth wall violation, because they don't tell her that she is a character in the sequel to Alice in Wonderland. They tell her that she's part of somebody else's dream. This is very upsetting to Alice, and she begins to cry, leading her to argue that she must be real, or how could she be crying? The response? I hope you don't suppose those are real tears, Tweedledum interrupted in a tone of great contempt. And of course he has a point. They're not real tears. Alice could push back along exactly the same lines. I don't have to listen to you, she might say. You aren't real. None of this is even happening. But you run into trouble when you have characters in fiction who begin to think and talk that way. The whole thing falls apart pretty quickly. The author can't think that way either, not for long. In order to work, fiction requires pretending that a little piece of unreality actually does exist, or at least that it operates more or less like reality. And that applies to more than just fiction. Any model of the world that we create, no matter how different it is from the real world, has to be granted what we might call conditional or temporary reality. It has to be real within its own context. It has to be real to itself. And that leads us to our next mystery. Let's think about the possible. What's possible? The possible is actually another hard problem. It's another perplexing mystery. It exists at the boundary 
of reality and unreality. It is itself unreal, yet it is the source from which all reality emerges. When we set out to explore the possible, we take on a mystery all wrapped up in these other mysteries. At the heart of the hard problem of reality is the question of how any instance of the unreal ever becomes real. And we'll get into this a little deeper later. For now, it's enough to know that the possible is not real. There are many things that are possible, but only just a very few that ever become real. Now, if you're starting to wonder whether consciousness has a role to play there, you might be onto something. And if you're seeing any kind of parallel between Deadpool's or, for that matter, even Alice's conversations and the kind of stuff that goes on in your own head, well, congratulations. Our internal monologues, or even internal dialogues for those of us who are a little more creative and who, for whatever reason, have multiple voices talking inside our heads at the same time, these discourses jump comfortably from one level of reality to another. We combine what we remember having happened with what we think happened, with what we think is going on now, with what we hope will happen next, with what we think probably will happen next in spite of what we might hope. And some of that is reality. Some is speculation. Some is wishful thinking. Some is a fairly reasonable assessment of what might be possible. If there is an invisible wall between the real and the unreal, we are extravagant in our willingness to ignore it. Alice and Deadpool are amateurs compared to us. Nobody violates the fourth wall like we do, and we're only getting started. Later on, I'm going to talk about how you can actually move that wall, potentially, or walk through it if you like. We'll even dare to ask whether you can bring people and situations and other good stuff from the other side of the wall to this side. But before we can get very far with any of that, we have to clear something up. And that will be our topic for the next edition of Adjacent Realities. Thanks for being with us. I'm Phil Bowermaster. Until next time, live to see it.